Good morning and welcome to the Bridge in the Gap podcast. Um, we're doing this in my living room for a change. Dave turned up at the front door this morning looking like a snowman because uh, he'd walked all the way over in that case that he is with a big heavy snowflakes coming down. All the way is a bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> well, that's quite a way, isn't it? How long does it take? 10 minutes. How's that all? I mean, it's probably 20 minutes short if legs, you have yeah, little legs. Yeah, yeah. Got in there before you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Me and that was funny. So um, we are revisiting... Um, the parable of the lost son again for, so um we've had two sermons on that from dave which uh really been challenging and a blessing to me i'm sure to you as well um but nonetheless uh, despite the encouragement i thought i'd wrap together some awkward questions for dave to put into the podcast so dave Pleasant. let's start with this one I, I think a big question often comes up about this passage and i think you you kind of answered it as you were preaching but not explicitly yeah um, you know, because it's a stunning representation of grace in the gospel. The question is this, is this stunning presentation of grace mainly for religious unbelievers who don't trust Jesus, like Pharisees, yeah. or is it mainly for believers? Because some of the quotes um, from you taken alone could imply one or the other. So, for example, you said about the older son, he doesn't really know the father and don't miss out, come in, which sounds, oh, right, that's aimed at unbelievers. But then also you say things like, you need a reminder you're a child of God and all I have is yours, etc. So yes. is it for the unbeliever or the believer this parable and preaching from this parable? Yeah. I mean that's that's why like little quotable tweets don't really <laughs> tell you the yeah what the actual message of the sermon was. And I think that's why like doing questions after last week's podcast would have been hard because lots mm. of the questions would have been, Well, isn't this about the Pharisees? Yeah. And Sure, like, yes, it's well, listeners of the pod are not going to be surprised whenever I say I think it does speak to both. Um, <laughs> both and, yeah, both and classic, but as well, I suppose, like, that's because the Lord Jesus is the Lord and He's the Master and He knows what He's doing whenever He's telling a story. That there are layers to it yeah. that you can, you can use it for like a tool in evangelism because it shows us two ways to live, two ways to rebel mm. against God as an unbeliever. But it's also a stinging rebuke of the believer who's hardened their heart. So there's yeah. people we know, I'm sure, who uh, have been Christians and then have rebelled and wandered away completely. Yeah. But then there's people in our congregation, perhaps, who are believe they're, they're Christians, but they've hardened their heart because they are doing their duty so much. Mm. So I think that's what makes it a bit tricky preaching it because on Sunday, you know, I'm preaching to people like me, a Pharisee, but also to the person in the congregation who isn't a Christian and thinks that their good deeds yeah. are good enough to get them into heaven. I think ultimately it's both because of the context, because Jesus is talking to Pharisees, the religious insiders, whilst also being in the presence of tax collectors and sinners. So he's sort of speaking to both to both sets of people. Um, yeah. yeah. I think as well, just as a complete side point, it's funny, the previous week, preaching about God's heart to the rebel and the wayward, you know, afterwards, this is not me. This is not a, you know, I'm not upset about this, but after that, loads of people were like, Oh, so wonderful. Like a, what a great message this week. You don't get that because it's like, <laughs> well, well, like it's, it's hard hitting, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah. it's an easy message to hear. God loves rebellious sinners. It's a hard message to hear. Yeah. God hates <clears throat> like Pharisees, hard-hearted religious people. I think most most preachers don't like preaching the harder passages, do they? No. I guess there'd probably be something wrong if you really liked it. Yeah. Um, but I also, I think people would come up and lynch us if I 
just did the first part of the yeah. prodigal son. Well, plus, I mean, you touched on it there in your answer that although there are those different angles, you've got to look at the two sons. Um, yeah. Right at the core of it is that the heart of the father, isn't it? Yeah, Which for both his sons. Believers and unbelievers need to hear, and yeah. wandering believers included. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, talking about the Pharisees and their kind of religiosity, yeah. how, how can religion turn us inward looking? Because that was something you touched on yeah. as well. <clears throat> I suppose whenever you look at the Pharisees time and again in the Gospels, Jesus is frustrated with them because they're interested in the detail of the law and not the heart of the law, mm. which means that they, they're they not really doing what the commandment is supposed to do. It's supposed to turn them to love God and their neighbor. So I suppose for us today, it is really easy to be drawn into a Christian bubble because there is always more we can do to serve in the church. There's more Bible studies that you can go to. Um, I suppose it's maybe it's more I'm thinking of university students etc but you can very easily on a given night of the week fill up your diary with church stuff every mm. single night of the week if, if you really want to do you could try to meet with someone from church or go to a Bible yeah. study every night of the week which means great it's pointing you to the Lord Jesus but we then lose sight of what Christ has called us to as well salt and light in the world yeah. harvest being plentiful mm. that sort of stuff so yeah it's can turn us inward looking, but I suppose as it turns us inward, it should cause us to consider our hearts, the lostness of our own sin, and then that should drive us outward, shouldn't yeah. it? And just to be clear, that that's we're talking there about religion turning us inward looking, aren't we? So yeah. the gospel when we get when we get it right. Yeah, yeah, we'll exactly. Do that will it? But yeah, when we become inward looking because we get religious, absolutely. Yeah. So linked to that, you talked about this is another great quote: um, a duty-ridden existence looking down on those who don't do what we do yeah. how can that be a snare for real christians for us yeah. in in church life a duty-ridden existence looking down on those who don't do what we do yeah i think i think it's a snare it's something that can easily infect our hearts in the sense of uh, gossip i think you can end up talking to people mm. uh who maybe serve alongside you and sort of talk about people who aren't doing what you're doing with the guy sort of cover of one thing to share something to pray for when really it's a chance to judge someone else mm. and i imagine i imagine that can particularly infect hearts around times like uh christmas easter summer yeah. whenever there's lots of stuff going on and you can think well these other people aren't as committed as i am because <laughs> i'm doing all these things and mm. they're 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 choosing not to whenever they might have perfectly legitimate reasons not to be mm. doing those things um i suppose the the other way of it's a snare duty ridden existence is we lose sight of who we're really serving if we're busy looking down on yeah. others you were supposed to be serving the lord um i suppose that's when it's helpful to picture the lord jesus who deserved to like most deserve to judge and look down on us or his disciples generally washing their feet mm. and dying for them um and i think as well whenever you consider serving i'd read an article i haven't actually this is a bad one to confess i haven't read the pilgrim's progress so i probably should do that at some <laughs> point but it, apparently in the pilgrim's process progress there's someone who is so busy looking down at the ground that he doesn't notice that he has a crown on his head yeah he's, yeah. he's driven so much by duty that he's forgotten mm. his identity which is quite a a helpful picture isn't it that yeah. we can be so busy looking down on others on the work that we're doing that we don't actually look up and yeah, that's good. It's still it's still in our joy. And it's, it's such a hard one, isn't it? Because um, the the acts that 
someone who's acting out religiosity and the acts of someone who's doing it because they love Jesus on the outside can yeah. look, they can be the same things, can't they? Oh, exactly. It really is a heart thing that we've each of us have got to examine our own hearts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, really interesting that, isn't it? And and um, something we've got to be aware of. Um, you said uh, a lot of us err towards saying it's better to be legalistic than to go the other way and to slip into licentiousness. Yeah. Um, I think I agree there, actually. I think a lot of us in evangelical churches would tend that way. Um, but you rightly said it's not better to be a robot than a rebel. So, yeah. <laughs> deliberately provocative question. Yeah. <laughs> Is it better to go the other way then? Is it better to be a rebel than a robot? Is that all right to go that way? Yeah, I think this is what is, well, I suppose that's the thing. We're preaching to our specific congregation. Mm. So if someone just randomly played on Spotify, the Bridge Church, that one Sunday, they'd be thinking, this preacher is about license. Yeah. When actually, <laughs> if you've listened to lots of our other sermons, yeah. we've, we've said, haven't we? do this, don't do this, mm. live this way, this is what it looks like in light of who Jesus is, mm. his life, death, resurrection, live in this way. Uh, so I think ultimately I was being dramatic for effect because, mm. well, because I think our natural inclination is to think legalism is is safe. That's, that's a good ground to be on. When actually, when you look at the, the parable of the lost son, when you look at the gospels, those who are legalists, struggle to grasp the gospel mm. in the same way that those who are uh, more tending towards life. Uh, yeah. Mm. So I think it's, it's more of a gentle pushback on people who think legalism is Jesus is happier with legalism yeah. than license. I don't think that's true because uh, I can't remember if I said it on Sunday, but whenever you read Romans, Paul is constantly accused of license because the gospel is so mm. his gospel invitation is so open, so freeing. They're saying, it sounds like you're saying yeah. we can sin because grace abounds. It's like, no, 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 hold on. Let me explain yeah. to you that I'm not saying license. I'm not saying legalism. I'm saying the gospel. And there is that, we've talked about it off air and on the pod a few times, I think, about this, haven't we, that there's that tightrope. Because when you're talking about grace as we should be, yeah, if people hear that a lot, they, then they, they could be tempted to think, actually, so these guys are saying sin doesn't matter. We're not saying that. Yeah. But you can see why they, they'd hear that if you're talking about grace a lot. If you're talking about the imperatives in scripture a lot, yeah. people could think, oh, that's legalism. And actually, if we're, if we're laying it out right and saying, look, you obey the commands of Jesus because you love him and because of your relationship with him and the power yeah. comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not legalism, but there's that tightrope constantly, yeah. isn't there, that we need to try and walk yeah. again, yet again. That's where the whole yeah. counsel of scripture is so important, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what's hard about reading an epistle is that the first <laughs> half of it is so much about this is the gospel, this is what Jesus has done for you. Yeah. But then when you get, get to the second half, you're just like, oh, this is so much doing stuff when actually yeah, it's all off of the backdrop of mm. this is who the Lord is. And I guess you get, you're going to get churches, you're going to get pastors. We need yeah. to look at ourselves here, don't we? And yeah, think definitely. about this, who they love the first part of the epistle and not the second or vice versa. <laughs> yeah. And you've got to hold both intention. Yeah. 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 Um, you said that the oldest son viewed the father as a harsh master. Um, which totally, yeah, I thought, yeah, that, that's it. That's how he's viewing him. These days, I, th I think, disagree with me, if you if, if you, uh, if I dare, if you do, if you, if you do. my harsh master. Um, <laughs> uh, I think uh, these days, master yeah. is probably a totally negative word for many people. Yeah. But Jesus is called master. I mean, that's what Lord means, basically. Isn't it? So in what way is God a master in a good way? Yes, yeah, good question. Uh, 
I think I've heard a rule in duty an Archie and Arvind mm. call Jesus master yeah, in their prayers, yeah. which is like really powerful and mm. helpful. Uh, I think obviously master is quite a foreign word because, well, I don't think we, we say, oh, that, that person is my master. We'd say that person's mm. my boss. That's why I sort of made the equivalent. I think the helpful way of thinking about the Lord as master is to think about the way the Exodus talks about God mm. in that uh, whenever the people of Israel are in Egypt, they're under a harsh master, a harsh ruler, an oppressive ruler that limits their lives, kills their children, forces them to do hard labor, enslaves them, essentially. But whenever the people are freed from slavery, they exchange that hard and harsh master to their good and gracious God, who's a mm. good master. So whenever God frees the people from Egypt, he doesn't say, okay, now you're free, do whatever you want. Yeah. He says, you're now free to worship me. You're free to be my servants, my people. Um, and I suppose whenever you look at the laws, that's when it's quite helpful, isn't it? Because God's laws are set in place not to limit life, but to fulfill their life. Mm. They're given a Sabbath rest so they can worship their new master, the Lord, when they had spent years. I can't remember off the top of my head how many years in it, in Egypt. They spend years there with no rest, mm. and then they are given a, a new master. Uh, well, they exchange ownership per se yeah i think in in the new testament we see paul call himself servant or slave of christ which mm. some people trip up over he's simply saying that he's living for a new king a new master a better master yeah. and i think ultimately as you say read the whole bible the bible gives us many different pictures of god master father king yeah, yeah. Let's go on. And kind of using them all and explaining them so important, isn't it? Because, yeah. like you said about Paul being called, calling himself a servant or slave, and in our culture, I think slave is just a completely negative word. Yeah, yeah. And the, the word's hard to translate anyway, right? It's, yeah. It's like bond servant, isn't it? It's yeah. stronger than servant, not quite as strong as slave, but it's yeah. um, it's something the culture doesn't understand unless we explain it in context. And the Exodus context there, I thought, was brilliant. That's a really good way yeah. of, of laying it out. And I think as well, in the parable of the lost son, if you focus too much on God as Father, obviously Jesus says, "Pray to your, mm. pray to God, our Father who art in heaven." But if we focus too much on the fatherly nature of God, we lose the the kingship, His holiness, yeah. His lordship. Yeah. So you need you need the balance as ever. And again, what, that's why the Lord's Prayer is so awesome, isn't it? You know, our Father in heaven, yeah, hallowed be Your name. The balance is there in the early words, isn't it? Straight away, yeah, yeah, to totally right. If we focus on just one title or name of God, we can get unbalanced too yeah um you also said that seeing god as a hard boss um seeing the father as a hard boss that god as a hard boss leads to the thinking that when we do well he owes us because even a hard boss yeah you know, when we when we do well they've got to pay us yeah um yeah. so i was wondering as i was listening to that do you think do you think there's a link to prosperity teaching here is is that is prosperity teaching basically for legalism yeah yeah i think i think it's a natural knock-on effect whenever we're legalists we become interested in God's gifts more than God himself. Mm. Um, I think that's why we find some of Jesus teaching on money so difficult because we don't really believe that God could be better than having money <laughs> or other gifts. Yeah. And whenever we think about, so that's the flaw of prosperity teaching. What happens whenever you work really hard and God doesn't give it to you? In fact, your life gets worse. That's, that's mm. actually yeah. God's grace in that moment because it's true in you. Mm. This is not, this is not the way it works. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's 
it's it's the natural knock-on effect of seeing god as a as a boss you think give me what i'm owed yeah you put you put enough good stuff in you get yeah stuff straight back yeah, yeah. exactly you landed so getting towards the end of your sermon um you landed by talking about the riches we have in relationship with the father yeah which is such a great place to land um including that of a great inheritance so we, we've touched on this quite a bit i think on and off the last few years but yeah always worth a reminder our, our inheritance what does that look like biblically basically yeah. yeah i mean it's really i probably haven't thought through what i'm about to say enough in that <laughs> It's interesting in the Bible how there's the inheritance and there's also the reward mm. aspect of build up for yourself treasures in heaven, which is like an interesting yeah. thing to think about. But I think in First Peter, for example, we read about a living hope enduring inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, mm. which is kept in heaven. So our inheritance is a fixed thing; it's unchanging; it's in heaven, and I think that's ultimately God Himself. Like mm. He is our great reward relationship with god i mean we can't fathom can we what it will be like to relate to god sinlessly <laughs> no. because every, every part of our relationship with him now involves sin mm. and involves confession of sin and it's hard to fathom being in perfect relationship where we're not confessing our sin to him anymore yeah. which yeah so eternal life is our inheritance the promises of god to the people of israel was that he would be their god and he he would we would be his people which again is part of the inheritance and i suppose we talk about it quite a lot don't we that seeing faith being sight and seeing jesus face to face will be will make it worth it which again we can't quite wrap our head heads around it but we get those small pictures of it in our lives whenever you've gone through something really difficult and then you get to an end point like a, a holiday or the child arrives and you think, oh, all that pain mm. was worth it. That, that, those are sort of small pictures yeah. of the inheritance, isn't it? Lovely. <laughs> I almost want to stop there, but uh, but there's one more question I, I do want to ask because yeah. um, the, you, you, you finished it. It's such a great way talking about Jesus being our good and great older brother. So like all the way through, being an older brother is a negative thing, and then suddenly you're saying Jesus is the older brother. Yeah, and you finished there, which was definitely the right way to finish, place to finish. But then I was also thinking, yeah, well, tell me a bit more about what you mean there. So, yeah. just <laughs> just for a minute, can you flesh that out a bit more? Jesus being our good and great older brother. Yes, I think what is challenging about well, just preaching generally is whenever you're finishing, you're trying to point people to Lord Jesus, mm-hmm. and the funny thing is, time and again in the Bible. It's the younger brother who's preferred, yeah. which is really interesting. And then we get to this older brother, and you think, okay, how is Jesus the great older brother? Mm. Well, he's a great older brother in the sense that he does his duty to his father perfectly. And yeah. unlike this older son who resents his father, we read in John's Gospel, you know, I delight to yeah. do my father's will. Yeah. And you sort of think to yourself, okay, that is definitely a picture of the better older brother who delights to do his father's will, who would be prepared to go and find his rebellious yeah. lost younger brother yeah. and delight to do that and not be resentful of it. Mm. Uh, he's the one Ephesians tells us uh, in him, we have every spiritual blessing. So in Jesus, he doesn't begrudgingly share the inheritance with us. He freely lavishes on us all the riches. Uh, mm. He's the older brother 
who's with us always. We read at the end of Matthew, don't we? Surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age, by uh, his spirit. So there's all those sorts of pictures where whenever you see the older brother working hard, doing his duty, think about how Christ does those things, except exceptionally better. And yeah. that that's what I think it looks like fleshed out. And it's it's um it's something we've been seeing or keep seeing in Hebrews too, isn't it? That you keep seeing these things all the way through scripture, not not just through the New Testament and the parables, but the old testament yeah. stories and sacrifices that it is ultimately yeah. It's all about Jesus. Yeah, which is just so funny, isn't it? Because almost in Hebrews, for example, whenever we get to bits about like lambs or goats, we'll probably spend loads of the sermon explaining what exactly the lamb was all about. And then you get to the end of it and be like, okay, think of how imperfect the wee lamb was. And now I think about the <laughs> the great lamb. Like that's... Yeah, well, I think, I, think you get, I think you get to go into the detail on that because I'm going to be touching on it in Hebrews 8 this oh, Sunday, God willing. But um, there's plenty more to come in the following chapter, which is you, right? I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I hope so. I've got it in my diary. Yeah, it does. Um, it is. But anyway, we are back to Hebrews on Sunday, so um, hope to see lots of you there. Do bring your Hebrew scripture journals along if you're oh, using yeah. if you're using them. Dig it out, dust it off, and bring <laughs> it along to make notes. And looking forward to being with you and with all God's people on Sunday.